me with a microphone in front of me singing, huh? What about that? Well, here's what you need to know about the book of Obadiah. The book of Obadiah is primarily a message of judgment upon the nation of Edom. Now, if you'll recall your biblical history, okay, Edom, they were descendants of Esau. And you remember Esau, of course. Remember all the way back to the book of Genesis, you had Isaac, and he and Rebekah, they had twin boys, Jacob and Esau, and those two fought like brothers, didn't they? (laughs) And maybe even more than brothers, right? I mean, they fought like enemies at some points. I mean, they, they had a really troubled history, and you remember even when Rebekah was pregnant with the boys, the Lord said to her that the older was going to serve the younger, and that the younger was going to be greater than the older. And so from the very beginning, uh, their mother, Rebecca preferred Jacob. And she didn't even try to hide it either. Like, you know how we know that our mom has a favorite child and his name is Nick? And you know, I, mean, I don't know what it is for you, but like, you know how your parents have a favorite and they try to act like they don't, but we know they secretly do. She wasn't even secret about it, okay? She was just blatantly, I love Jacob the most. And uh, the father, Isaac, he preferred Esau. And it's really interesting. These two, they went back and forth constantly fighting. You remember early on in their history where uh, Jacob convinced Esau to sell him his birthright for a bowl of hot red stuff, according to the Hebrew. Just a bowl of red soup, some red stuff. Sold his birthright. And then not long after that, Jacob went and deceived their father and stole the blessing that was meant for Esau. He took it upon himself and he received the blessing. And so from Esau's perspective... Jacob took everything from him. He took the birthright, he took the blessing, he had their mother's love, and he inherited the promise of God. He took everything from him, left him with nothing, and so Esau hated Jacob. And he swore that he was going to kill him. And it's interesting that that animosity, that tension, did not go away amongst their descendants either. The nation of Edom, the Edomites, they hated The Israelites, they wanted to see the Israelites suffer. And so wouldn't you know it, when the nation of Babylon invaded Jerusalem and ransacked the city and captured the Jews and led them away as slaves, Edom was only too happy to assist them in doing that. Babylon needed help and Edom said, we'll do it. You don't even have to pay us anything. We'll do it for free. And so they joined together with Babylon in helping defeat and overthrow the nation of Israel. And so here's what you have to understand. As we come to the book of Obadiah, we come to a point in Israel's history when the people of Israel are crying and praying the prayers that we read in the book of Lamentations. They are in sackcloth and ashes. They are mourning. They are a devastated people. They had been conquered. They had been enslaved. They lost their homeland. They were in ruins, and the Edomites were loving it. They were gloating in the sufferings and the defeat of God's people. And I think we can all agree that we're no strangers to that kind of an attitude today in this world, are we? We're all too familiar with the world gloating in the setbacks and in the defeats and in the suffering of God's people. So, for instance, maybe you remember a few years ago when some Christian bakers refused to participate in the union of a gay couple. Well, That was, you know, people hated that at first, right? And then we found out that those Christian bakers were going to be sued, and the world loved it. 
They were gloating in the fact that these Christians were now going to be sued and face punishment for their bigotry, according to the world. Or maybe you remember uh, back in 2020 when the, the world was trying to shut down churches and there were churches and pastors and church members who said, well, the Bible tells us that we have to continue meeting together. So regardless of the, what the world says, we're going to do that. And many of those pastors and church members were fined and actually many pastors were put in jail for their faithfulness to God. And the world loved it. They were gloating in Christian setbacks, in Christian defeat, in Christian suffering. Uh, Not only that, but you remember just a few weeks ago, it's actually probably a couple months ago now, but you remember when Christians in Nashville were specifically targeted. They were targeted in Nashville at a Christian school. They were hunted down and they were murdered in cold blood. And our world did not respond with sympathy for the Christian community, did they? They responded with sympathy... For the community of the shooter. Our world does not care about Christians. Our world loves it when Christians are oppressed and are suffering. And when Christians face setbacks and opposition. We are not strangers to this today. And that's the same thing that Israel was experiencing in Obadiah's day. And the Lord had a message for Edom then. And he has a message for everybody today. Very simple. The day of the Lord is coming is what he says. The day of the Lord is coming. Now remember, this is that day when the slain lamb is going to return as a conquering lion. And he is going to escort all people to the judgment throne of God where every single person on earth will have to give an account of what they did in the flesh. The Bible says that day is coming and there is no avoiding it. There is no stopping it. And it's coming soon. And the fact that this day is coming, church, listen to me. The fact that this day is coming, and you can't avoid it, and you can't stop it, should have a noticeable impact on your life right now. It should make a huge difference on how you're living today. You see, the whole point is this. We must live our lives in light of the day of the Lord because it is near. We must live our lives in light of the day of the Lord because it is near near. And you might say, okay, well, I I agree with you, pastor, but I don't know necessarily what that looks like. Well, that's a great question to consider, isn't it? What does it look like to live in light of the day of the Lord? What kind of an impact? If it's true that this day is coming and we're all going to face it and there's no avoiding it, then what should my life look like now in light of its coming? And I think the first thing you see God say to the people here is that if you know this day is coming, then you should be living humble, holy lives. Notice what he says in verses 15 through 16. He says, For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. And they shall drink and swallow And shall be as though they have never been. You see, the people of Israel knew the day of the Lord was coming, but they had a really big misunderstanding about what that day actually was and what that meant for them. They thought it would be the day when God gave everybody else what they had coming to them. When God was going to inflict his judgment upon all the people who had oppressed them, and Israel couldn't wait for it. They were giddy about it. 
And, and, and so they were listening intently as God throughout Obadiah had told the nation of Edom, do not boast in the day of Judah's suffering. Do not boast in the day of their calamity. Don't be prideful about it. Don't be gloating about their suffering. Why? Well, verse 15 gives us that answer. The reason you need to humble yourself now is because the day of the Lord is coming. And Israel heard that and they were all smiles. They're like, yeah, that's right. Did you hear him eat them? You better stop gloating. You need to humble yourself because the day of the Lord is coming. The problem is they stopped listening right there. They didn't pay attention to the rest of verse 15 where it says the day of the Lord is near upon all nations, not just Edom. You see, they were so focused on Edom getting punished. They, they heard the Lord say that just as Edom had been drinking in Jerusalem in celebration of the fall of God's people, so too all nations would be drinking, but it would not be in celebration. They would be drinking the wrath of God continually as he pours it out upon them in judgment day. And Israel was giddy about this. They couldn't wait for it. They were kind of like going back to siblings. I know this would never happen to any of you, but maybe you had a sibling growing up and occasionally that sibling would be the one to get in trouble and you wouldn't on those rare occasions. And you watched your parent come down on that sibling and they're getting in trouble and you're over in the corner just laughing and smiling. <laughs> you're getting in trouble. It's not me. This is great. Loving it. And then the scariest thing in the world happened because parents see everything somehow and your mom would turn to you and go, and you're next. <laughs> okay, you got my attention now. That's exactly what's happening here. This was Israel's misunderstanding about the day of the Lord. They thought that this would be the day when God judged everyone on earth except them. They thought that they got a free pass, and so they were longing for this day while they were still in their sins. And God was trying to correct them on this continually. He even told them, listen, in the book of Amos chapter 5, this is what God told the people about that day. He said, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It's darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went to a house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. God's saying you need to understand the reality of what's going to happen on that day. No one is exempt from the judgment. No one is going to avoid it. No one is going to be able to bypass it. Every single person is going to have to stand before God and answer for what they did in the flesh. And so like a parent correcting his two children, God is correcting Edom and Israel. He's saying, Edom, you need to humble yourself because your pride is going to destroy you. And it'll come back to bite you on that day. And he's saying, Israel, you need to stop focusing on Edom getting punished and what's going to happen to Edom. And you need to start focusing on how you're living because you too are going to face that day. You're not going to Avoid it. Because you see how Israel was focused on the entirely wrong thing here, right? They have this whole messed up focus. It, it reminded me of this video I saw where this guy was filming in his car, and he's in standstill traffic. I mean, bumper to bumper on the interstate, lines not moving. We've all been there before, super frustrating. And in the video, you see a guy on a motorcycle pop a wheelie, get in the emergency lane, and just gun it down the whole lane, cuts the whole 
line. And the guy filming was losing his mind. I mean, he was raging, screaming. I know we would never do anything like that in here, but he was just, oh, that's illegal, you can't do that. Blah, 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 blah. He was just going off on this guy, right? Well, the video continues, and he eventually gets to move up the line. And he realizes that a cop had pulled over the guy on the motorcycle. And this made this dude's whole day. I mean, his life is just great at this point. And so he's laughing. He's cutting up. He rolls down his window as he's passing by, pointing the thing. Yeah, that's what you get. That was illegal. You know it. You're getting yours. I mean, he's just going off on this guy, living his best life. Didn't realize that the line had once again stopped in front of him and wrecks right into the car right in front of him. He was so focused on making sure that that motorcyclist got in trouble because he deserved to get in trouble that he wasn't paying attention to where he was going, and he wrecked. And that's exactly what God is saying to Israel here, and it's what he wants us to know as well. If we are more focused on making sure others receive retribution than we are on paying attention to how we're living, we're headed for disaster. If we're more focused on making sure others receive retribution than we are on paying attention to how we're living, we're headed for disaster. It is not your job, Christian, to make sure that every single person gets theirs. Even though I know how hard that is, right? I know what a struggle this is to get hung up on making sure other people get what's coming to them. I mean, you look around our world today and you see criminals fail to be prosecuted. And you go, that's not fair. It enrages us. You, you see, I know that maybe you would agree with this one, you see corrupt politicians and government leaders just get away with just illegal activities all the time. And you go, is no one going to do anything? Is no one going to prosecute them? Is nothing going to happen to them? It infuriates you. You look at the amount of people in our world today who are living in open, unrepentant, blatant sin, and yet nothing's happening to them. They're living great and prosperous lives. They're being, uh, living these blessed lives. And that infuriates us. And we go, this isn't right. This isn't fair. Something needs to be done. They need to be punished for their sins. And it's easy to get focused on that and stop paying attention to how we're actually living, isn't it? Listen, they might not be brought to justice in your lifetime or in this world. But you have to understand, that's okay. Because... The day of the Lord is coming. And that's God's message to us. That's what he wanted Israel to understand. You don't have to make sure that justice is served, Israel, because I will. The the day of the Lord is coming, and on that day, God is going to make sure that he brings about justice. God will not overlook even one sin on that day. Nothing that is hidden here on earth will be hidden then. All things will be revealed and brought to life. And so listen to me. You don't have to make sure that others get what's coming to them in this life because the judge of all the earth will do right. So that's the correction for us. Stop focusing on how they're living and start focusing on how you're living. Stop paying attention and focusing so hard on making sure they get what's coming to them. And why don't you actually make sure that when you stand before God on that day, God's going to judge you to be in the right. That should be of more concern to us, shouldn't it? I mean, we're going to face that day, and we know what Jesus would say to us now. Jesus would say, why are you focused on the speck in your brother's eye when you're overlooking the log that's in your own? 
We need to make sure that when we stand before God on that day, he's going to judge us to be in the right. And listen to me, I've said it a million times before, but it bears repeating. That does not come about by you getting your righteousness checklist and checking all the boxes on it. Well, I went to church. I became a member, I was baptized, I read my Bible occasionally, I served, I did this, I did that. If God's going to look at a list on that day, he's going to be awfully pleased with me. Bad news for you, he's not looking at that list. (laughs) That is not how you are deemed right in God's eyes. The Bible says that if you want to make sure that God judges you to be in the right in his eyes on that day, that only comes about through repenting of your sins and trusting in Christ alone for your eternal salvation. It comes from believing that the punishment that you deserve for your sins, that you want other people to get so desperately, the punishment that you deserve was laid upon Christ in your place. And that his sacrifice was sufficient to pay the penalty for your sins and make you right in God's eyes. That is your only hope, Christian. And so you need to focus on on making sure that when you stand before God, he is going to say, justified through faith in Christ. So in the meantime, by the power of the Spirit, we need to be focused on living these humble, holy lives that are pleasing to God. But but it's not just that we should be living humble, holy lives. God says here that his people should be a hopeful people, right? Christians should be the most joyful, hopeful people on earth, but so often we're not. Notice what he says there in verse 17. He says, but in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape." And it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. Now this is amazing. Look at this. In this whole message of judgment upon Edom, God gives his people Israel a message of hope. He says that that, that there's going to be a way of escape that day. Now remember, they did not feel hopeful at this time, did they? They had been captured. They had been enslaved. They had been led away as captives. They were in sackcloth and ashes. They were mourning. They had been defeated. Babylon had won. Edom had won. They had lost. They had been defeated. They would have asked, what hope is there for us now? And God says, well, I'll tell you what your hope is. The day of the Lord is coming. He's trying to get them to stop focusing on what they are currently experiencing and what they can currently see And lift up their eyes and look forward to that greater day. To that day that is coming. Because he says it is coming. He's going to make all things right on that day. On that day for God's people there will be a way of escape. On that day for God's people we will have deliverance. On that day for God's people we will have eternal salvation. On that day for God's people we will gain our inheritance finally. Not only that, but listen to me. On that day for God's people there will be no more tears. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more pain. No more oppression. No more suffering. No more defeats. No more setbacks. No more pink eye in both eyes. No more cancer. No more dementia. No more Alzheimer's. No no more of these debilitating diseases. It's all gone and everything will be well. It will be right on that day. Now that's something to look forward to, is it not? That's something to fill you with hope, is it not? And so God says, listen, I know that this life is hard. I know that you're suffering setbacks and defeats and difficulties and oppression. But know this, there is coming a day. 
when everything is going to be right and all of the hardness and hardships of this life are going to be gone. He says, look forward to that day because here's what you know. This life is full of ups and downs, is it not? It's always changing. You could be having a great day at the office and all of a sudden you get 10 phone calls in a row that'll just absolutely ruin your day. You know that life can be going well and all it takes sometimes is one phone call to ruin everything. You go visit a doctor and they find something that you did not expect them to find. This life is always changing. And here's the thing. I want to tell you this. You know this. If you are focused only on what you are currently experiencing and enduring and battling, you will have no hope. So God says, look forward to that day that is coming. That is a guarantee. And be filled with hope knowing that it's going to be right on that day. I think of my favorite missionary of all time, Adoniram Judson. I know I've mentioned him a number of times, but he, he is just so amazing to read his story. He, he endured more suffering and hardship and setbacks and defeats than almost any other person I've ever read about. And, and it's amazing to me when you read this and all that he endured, that he always remained hopeful, even in the midst of it. And I remember reading at one point during one of the darkest times in his life when he had uh, suffered another death of, uh, of another wife and, and he had lost more children and everything is just going wrong in his life. And I'm reading this book with tears in my eyes. He wrote these words and he said, In spite of sorrow, loss, and pain, our course be onward still. We sow on Burma's barren plain, we reap on Zion's hill. That's good, is it not? That's a great perspective to have, Christians, that you might have an entire ministry of sowing in barrenness. You might spend your entire life at a job, a secular job, and you're sowing these seeds of the gospel, and you might not see anything come from it. And God says, you might sow on this barren plain, but look to Zion, because that's where we reap. That's where we will have the victory. And this is the point God's saying here, no amount of present defeats can take away from our future victory. No amount of present defeats can take away from our future victory. Because you understand this, don't you, church? The moment that Jesus took his first breath on that first Easter morning, the victory was won. It was over at that point. Our salvation was secured. When he rose from the grave, he secured the victory over sin, death, and Satan. He secured our right standing with God. He secured God's final assessment of us. He secured the victory for us. And because Jesus lived for us, because he died for us, because he rose again for us, we can be 100% positive right now. We can know for certain what he will say about us then. That we are justified in his eyes through faith in Christ. Well done, good and faithful servant. And you can know that now, Christian, through faith in Jesus. And listen, that's not even the best part. You might say, Pastor, how on earth is that not the best part? Sure does sound like it. No, the best part is that there's absolutely nothing this world can do to take away from everything that is ours in Christ. It is untouchable. It is guarded, protected for us in heaven. Nothing this world can do to us or say about us can take away from what is ours in Christ. 
So listen to me. Nothing that the world says about you, Christian, and the world's going to say a lot about us, right? Nothing the world says about us can take away from what God says about us. That's the only part that matters. Listen to me here. A lack of righteousness in this life, if you feel like I'm struggling, pastor, I'm not perfect, I still struggle with sin. Listen, a lack of righteousness in this life cannot take away from the perfect righteousness of Christ that is yours through faith in Christ. You have his righteousness if you have faith in him. Nothing can take away from that. Not even death itself can do anything or end a Christian who has eternal life in Christ. Death can't be the end of us because we have eternal life in Christ. Though we die, yet shall we live through faith in Christ. There is absolutely nothing that this world and the enemies of God can do to those who are united to Christ. He is our victory. The war is over. The victory is secured. And so God is reminding us here to be a people of hope. Live hopefully. If it is true, as the Bible says it is, that we have been born again to a new and living hope, then Christians, don't you think it's about time we start acting like it? (laughs) Thanks, Clara. (laughs) We need to stop focusing on all the present trials and difficulties and oppressions that we face in this life. And we need to lift up our eyes to Zion where our victory is waiting for us with Christ. Not only that, but listen to me, folks. We need to be living missionally. That's the last impact I think we see here. We should be living missionally. You see this in verses 18 through 21. I'm going to read verse 18 at least. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble, and they shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Now you skip down to the last verse there and you see it ends with, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Now, we all just read the same verses, did we not? And you could be wondering, hold on a second, didn't he say we should be living missionally? Pastor, what in the world did you see in there that indicated we should be living missionally? Because didn't we just read that the house of Jacob is a fire and it's going to burn up Edom? And they will be stubble? That seems like the exact opposite of being a missional people, does it not? So where are we getting this stuff? I mean, literally the people of God here are depicted as being the agents of God's destruction. So help me out here. Well, it's actually pretty interesting how this prophecy was fulfilled. Because of the the core of this prophecy, what God is saying is that there will be no more Edomites because of the house of Jacob. The house of Jacob is going to burn consume the Edomites, and there will be no more Edomites. Now, they thought that was going to be literal, but here's what actually happened. Even though Edom had teamed up with Babylon, Babylon, as they do, turned on Edom and eventually overtook them and pushed them further south. And then over time, more and more enemies arose, and they continued to push the Edomites further and further south until they were in Judean territory. At that point, they became known, uh, they established this region called Edumia. They became known as Edumians. And you'll remember that because they were in Jewish territory, they eventually received Jewish circumcision. And they joined themselves to God's covenant people. So here's the house of Jacob aflame, beginning to consume the Edomites, and they joined themselves to God's covenant people. But wait, it gets even better. 
Because the majority of Edomites now lived in Jewish territory and had received Jewish circumcision and had joined themselves to God's covenant people, it meant that they were living in Judea during the time of Jesus' earthly ministry, where the Edomites had the opportunity to hear the message of the kingdom of God firsthand from Jesus himself and had the opportunity to receive the Lord's salvation. Now, how good is that? What happened is it was exactly through the Edomites losing their identities as Edomites and joining themselves to the people of God that they had the opportunity to hear the message of the gospel and receive salvation. So there were no more Edomites because now they were part of God's covenant people. It's as the word of the Lord says in Galatians 3.28 that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You can add to that list there is no Edomite. There is no Edomian. There is only Christian. What the Bible is saying here is that God's covenant people are the people that he is placing his love and salvation on. There is no longer an Edomite or a Dumian. They were burned up. They lost their identities so that, listen to me, they can receive an even greater identity. The only one that matters. The only identity that will ultimately stand, which is child of the living God. Which is what we are called in Christ. So here's the point, folks. Enemies are conquered through conversion, not conquest. Enemies are conquered through conversion, not conquest. You see, my alma mater is North Greenville University. You might know that their mascot is the Crusaders. (laughs) Kind of a bad look. In fact, the whole time I was at North Greenville, I and a couple other Christian studies majors were trying to get the university to change the mascot because the Crusaders got it wrong. I mean, a big swing and a miss. The, The kingdom of God is not built by military conquest. People are not added to the kingdom by going to them and having a sword and threatening them and saying, convert or die. There's a whole other religion for that if that's your thing, but that's not us. That is not how the kingdom of God is built. We don't go to the enemy of God with guns. We go with the gospel. It is only through spirit-empowered gospel proclamation that enemies will be won to Christ. That's the only way it happens. In this way, enemies are conquered. In this way, people lose their identities and gain an even greater one. In this way, corrupt politicians become children of promise. In this way, infidels become faithful followers of Christ. In this way, folks, sinners become saints. In this way, even the most staunch atheist will bow his knee and bend his knee and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. This is how it happens. And so listen to me, if you're tired of experiencing that oppression... If you're tired of looking around the world and seeing the amount of gross injustice in the world and gross sin in the world, if you're tired of enduring the cruel mocks and taunts of the world, then it's about time Christians start to live as a missional people as God has called us to do. Jesus himself said, go 
and make disciples of all nations. If we were living missionally, I think we'd see less sin in the world today. We need to go to the enemies of God today, to those who are still in their sins, and declare to them that they stand condemned before God due to their sin and rebellion. But but that God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to live the life that we could not live and die the death that we deserve to die and pay the penalty that we deserve for our sins so that every single person who would turn from their sins and put their trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation will be saved. That is the message of the gospel. That is how conversion happens. We don't need crusades or conquests. We need conversion. And conversion only happens by the people of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, begin to go and proclaim the message of the Son of God, all for the glory of God. This is what it looks like to live in light of the coming day of the Lord. No one can stop that day from coming. No one can avoid it. No one is exempt from it. But we can live in light of its coming. We can begin to shift our focus away from making sure everybody else gets theirs and make sure we're covered by the blood. Make sure that we are going to be justified in God's sight and that we are living lives that are pleasing to Him through faith in Christ. We can begin to shift our focus away from our current struggles and setbacks and difficulties and lift our eyes to Zion's hill. Be filled with hope and look forward to the victory becoming a reality for those of us who have trusted in Christ for salvation, and then we can be a missional people and take the message of the gospel to a lost and dying world, a world that needs this message because ultimately, folks, this is a message of hope for God's people, isn't it? It's a message of hope for all those who have united themselves to Christ through faith. We know that our victory awaits us in Zion. The Bible tells us that God has established His King in Zion. And his name is Jesus. God will have the victory. The question is, will you take part in it? Let's go to the Lord in prayer.